Have you been feeling stuck, exhausted, and finding yourself living as a passenger in your own life? By giving away so much of your energy and power to everyone and everything around you. But you? Well, you are not alone. My name is Dr. Valérie Johnston Dugamin, osteopath, and I have been there too. After being burned out, exhausted, I decided to take control of my life and get back into my driver's seat. It wasn't easy though, but I did it. And you can do it too. In this podcast, I will share stories, invite guest speakers, and provide insight and tips on how to turn your life around and move back into your driver's seat. My guest today is a single mom, a small business owner, who has been struggling through the winger of mental health for many years. Eleven years ago, she entered recovery for an eating disorder. She has spent a lot of time raising awareness for mental illness, eating disorder, and suicide on her social media. She said that for her, mental health has always been her biggest focus. So in their conversation today, It's about how to deal with mental health as a mom, a business owner, and just simply a human being. Thank you, and welcome Marissa Hudson to the Driver's Seat Club. Yes, 11 years ago now, I entered recovery for an eating disorder. I had bulimia for about five years, and it got quite bad. And my weight dropped very, very low, probably to dangerous, we'll say dangerous levels. And honestly, if I hadn't entered recovery when I did, I don't know that I'd be here today. If it wasn't from how low my weight was getting, um, I was very suicidal and it would have been either one of those things. I really do believe would have been what had would have been the end of my life, unfortunately. I was very grateful for my team that I worked with. I had an amazing psychologist and a dietitian that I worked with as well who really helped me through everything. I was very lucky to be able to hit it off with both of them straight away. I know that hitting it off with a psychologist straight up is not always how it works which is why I always encourage people when they go and see a psychologist, if they don't gel with them, that it's okay to say this isn't working for me and to go and seek help elsewhere, talk to someone else. Just because it doesn't work with one doesn't mean it's not going to work with someone else. My recovery taught me very much that it was really important to reach out to other people. I read a lot of books from other people who had been through what I was going through. It made me feel normal. It made me feel like I wasn't the only one who was going through this because eating disorders are incredibly isolating. They're very secretive. People don't talk about them. There's a lot of shame around them. There's a massive stigma. They are very, very secretive. A lot of people go through life 
and you would have no idea they've had an eating disorder. People have them for 10, 20 years and, you know, their friends and family don't know. When I told my family that, you know, I'd been diagnosed with an eating disorder, there were a couple of comments of, okay, yeah, you know, there's just been a few things lately that we've noticed. You know, that was five years and that was really only towards the end before I went into recovery that it was kind of noticed. How long did you stay in recovery before you could get better? Within the first year of me being in recovery, I made really, really big inroads. And it was probably six months before I really noticed a big change for me. And that's a relatively short period of time. I don't want anyone to think that six months is long to be in recovery or treatment for any mental illness, to be honest. But I also don't want anyone to measure up their time against mine. It's an ongoing process. It's continued growth. And, you know, I'm still learning things 11 years later. I'm still learning things about my own mental health and my own growth. But my sessions just got further and further apart. I was going initially weekly and then fortnightly. And then we just kept like pushing them out another week each time. And then I'd go every month and then every six weeks. I was so lucky that in between, if I had any issues, I could call through to the center and I could speak to my psychologist and she would help me through quite a lot of things. There would be times that I would ring her in complete tears and she would help me and talk me down and talk me through. And I was really grateful at that time because I still, in those early stages, didn't feel like I could talk to anyone about what I was going through. I talked to my then husband sort of about it, but it just wasn't enough and he just didn't really get it. So I was really grateful that I could actually speak to her about it when I really needed. I had a huge drive then at that point that we needed something in our area. I had another friend um, that was also going through treatment and she was uh, closer to the city and she was doing actually treatment with RPA, but they don't do one-on-one, they do group sessions. So she'd said to me that she wishes that she could have those one-on-one sessions. And I had said to her, I wish that we had group sessions. I would love to be able to sit in a group and be able to talk with other people who get me and get it. So I had this great idea with my psychologist and I said to her, I think it would be really great if we could make a support group. And so she phoned around a bit and we got in contact with Catholic Care, who was our local, and they actually had wanted to also start an eating disorders support group. So it was like perfect timing. It was meant to be. I wanted to do that. They wanted to do that. So we did. We started a support group. We called it Nourish. It was my baby and I co-facilitated it with one of the psychologists there for a couple of years. How many people were in the group? We started initially, we had one person at our first 
group. And like I said, because eating disorders carry so much shame, it's a massive, massive step to be able to say, I need help and I'm going to go speak to someone. And the second, we held the monthly and then the second one, we had another person and uh, we had a few constant members and a, you know, couple that came and went and I loved being able to use what I had been through to help other people. I just thought, you know what, I've been through so much. Why can't I help other people with what I've been through? Why can't I make someone else feel comfortable with what they're dealing with? And so that they know that it's okay and that recovery is possible. I loved doing it. It took you about six months to get better. Did you create the support group after that six months or it was a bit later? I don't know if we'd say I'd got better. I just, things improved. There were definitely still times that I struggled and definitely still times I had to fight the eating disorder, you know, that voice in my head who would constantly try and bring me down. Yeah, it was nearly 12 months that I was in treatment that I decided we just had to do something. So I felt that I had come so far in my recovery that I had a lot to offer other people. So what has going to recovery changed in your own life? Did you do things differently? Did you achieve different goals or what happened? Everything, it made, it certainly made life easier because I was no longer obsessing about food and exercise and no longer obsessing about how everything had to be perfect in my life. And that's what eating disorders do. It's everything's got to be perfect and in control all the time. And it's very hard to deal with when it's not. And I had to learn to let go a lot of that I'm still a perfectionist and I still like things organized that's who I am but I don't obsess and I don't spiral the way I used to if things don't work out and it would be over the tiniest thing that I would just lose my mind and that doesn't happen anymore but it just meant that I could get some of me back and through my treatment I was able to start looking at, you know, people in my life and what those relationships meant to me and having to really look at who was important to me and who was not having a good impact on my life. There's definitely times where I slip and I will try too hard to make something work with someone or keep going to someone and being then disappointed. But then eventually... I'm like, no, no, we're not. We're pulling back from that. This isn't serving you. And I'm very grateful I have a great support network now who, if I say something, like my best friend is a wonderful, amazing human. And she will say to me, if I'm getting stuck in that, no, you know, that's not working for you. So why do you do it? So I'm very grateful. When you talk about the support and making sure that the people that are around you, they understand and they're there for you, because some people, they may have their own issues and they may not have the capacity mentally to deal with someone else's issues. Maybe that as well. So it's so, so great that um, your psychologist gave you this advice. It's hard because sometimes we sit there and we wonder why that one person isn't helping us or that one person isn't there for us and we internalize it and think it's about us Um, but we need to remember it's not one we don't always know what that person's got going on in their life maybe like you said 
they don't have the capacity to take on anyone else's stuff and that's okay. And sometimes someone's just not your person and that's just not the right person to help you. Some people don't have the ability to be able to help. And unfortunately, there's also people that are happy to take lots from you, but don't give it back. We have to be really conscious of those in our lives as well and make sure we're not giving all of our energy and not getting anything in return. And that's still a lesson. I'm still learning. My current psychologist had said to me towards the end of last year, because I was suffering from really bad burnout, and she just told me to stop and pull back from everyone and everything that I could spend time with Anita who's my best friend because she's my most amazing support network and her and I bounce off each other all the time for everything and our energies are matched I get from her what she gets from me and apart from that my psychologist went you need to stop you just have to stop that's what we have to do sometimes we actually have to stop and stop giving to everyone when we're not even giving to ourselves. Very important because so many people, even though they're exhausted, they give so, so much. And it means a lot to me that you say that and open up like that to say, yes, sometimes you just have to look after yourself. It's so important. Everyone looks out for themselves as number one. And we have to remember that we have to do that for ourselves as well. And we don't have to be everything to everyone. It's not actually something that is healthy and it is exhausting and why do it when you're not getting it back it's okay to say no and that's really hard for me because I don't like saying no to people I've grown up my entire life I was basically raised to make everyone else happy in my life and it was always about everyone else and not my happiness and that was part of your education would you say everything I've always done okay am I going to make this person happy and am I going to make that person happy and someone else is going to be happy and where was my happiness in that and I wanted to always make my parents happy and it was to make what they wanted for me that's what I always wanted and it had a huge impact on my eating disorder I used to think that my happiness will come when everyone else is happy. But you can't keep all those plates spinning. It's impossible to do all the time. And I just had to stop. And it took a long while up until probably when my marriage broke down. For me, it was a really hard decision. I have two young-ish children. They're eight and nearly six. And I've been um, divorced now for three years. And it was a really, really hard decision to decide I've got to look out for me now. I wasn't happy in my marriage anymore. It wasn't serving me. I felt very alone in it. I felt very isolated and my mental health was suffering. It took a massive dive and there were times that I didn't want to be here anymore because I thought honestly that that was easier than being in my marriage, which is horrible because I had two quite young children at that point, but I just didn't want to be here. And I stuck it out for 
quite a while because I didn't want a broken family for my kid. I just couldn't bring up myself to do this to them. And in the end, I realized how much I was suffering thinking that I wanted to drive my car in front of a truck kind of made me realize just how bad my mental health had gotten because my marriage was so very draining. There were times that were good and he's a great dad, truthfully, but it got really, really bad for me. I ended up asking for a separation after a long time of repeatedly asking to, you know, to try and work on it and fix it and doing everything in my power to save my marriage. And it was hard because I felt like I'd done so much work through my recovery to bring my self-worth back up because I thought so very little of myself previously and I completely devalued myself. And I did all this work in recovery and I felt like I lost myself and all of that. Um, towards the end of my marriage and I had to do all that work again to bring myself back up and to feel like I could trust people again or to trust men again was really hard. It took a lot of work and a lot of looking inside of myself to figure out what was going on and, and to bring that up. Was it as long as the first time that you went to Okovoy because that time you have kids you have two children. So what was the difference? Definitely different. Um, so with my ED recovery, like I still seeing my psychologist for a couple of years, but we just spaced everything apart. I'm still seeing my psychologist now, which I actually think it's really great. It means that if I've got stuff on my mind or stuff that I'm unsettled with, I can go to her and just unload it I tend to know my stuff I know what's going on sometimes I just need to voice it to someone who's neutral I will say things and as they come out of my mouth I go oh yeah okay that's why I think like that or I did that you know I get it but it just helps me bring it down a bit when I saw the psychologist the first time after my separation it was perfect timing I'd spiraled very badly and I almost made an attempt on my life. I was very lucky that I reached out to one of my best friends because I knew that if I didn't, it wasn't going to end well. And she was right up me going, she goes, I'm going to message you every hour. And if you don't answer me, I'm sending the police. You have no choice. You have to message me. She kept me very well in check. Seeing that I saw a psychologist the next day and it was unbelievable timing how I had it all worked out. She just made me feel a little bit more normal. I guess I knew, but I'd forgotten that, you know, I'm worth something and this wasn't all my fault. I knew it wasn't, but I blamed so much of, you know, what's wrong with me? And she's like, there's nothing wrong with you. I spiraled a lot after I called it off with him because I just didn't think someone else could make me feel that way. The growth I've done since then means I have very high standards for myself now and I've learned so much. It was almost the lesson I had to have, but I learned a huge amount about myself and I've realized that I am worth my weight in gold and 
I am worth so much to myself, my kids, and I have amazing friends and family. And now, everything that's been through, like the um, eating disorder, recovery from that, the marriage breakdown, recovery from that as well. So looking back, how is Marissa now in your life, with your family, with your kids? How is everything play out right now for you? It's so much better and I still have days and probably six months have been a huge, huge roller coaster. I started my own business at the beginning of last year. Congratulations. And single mum life on top of running a business is really hard work. It's definitely been, look, it's been the best move for me. It means that I was able to be home with my kids during COVID. So important. The middle of last year, I was actually indecently assaulted on a date, a second date that I went on with someone. And that kind of, it threw a lot of my faith and confidence in men. At that point, I just went after my marriage and then after my last relationship and then that happening, I completely lost all faith. And to be completely honest, I really, really struggled after that. I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders and I had a hard time. COVID impacted on my business because I couldn't seek out new business because I was trying to homeschool children. So I didn't have the time to be able to take on more work. And I was getting really stressed about my finances and how, you know, I'm going to keep a roof over our heads and how this is all going to work. I felt like my life was out of control. The problem that happens when my life gets out of control like that and my mental health is not good is that my ED, my eating disorder creeps back in because it's exactly the environment it loves. I did, I turned to my behaviours were my coping mechanism. I loathed myself for it each time but it still in some way made me feel like I had some sort of control. I remember when I saw my psychologist about at one of the sessions she just sat there and looked at me and she said okay well we're not doing that anymore okay so <laughs> she's very very blunt and she's quite upfront about everything and she just went we're not doing that anymore I would have periods where it was really great and I wouldn't binge and purge for a while and then I would have a really bad period where you know it would be every day for like a week and it's gotten better so it's fewer times now and I have to really battle sometimes that voice in my head and I have to say no we're not doing it no we're not engaging no 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 you have the strength now to manage that better that's amazing yeah and I just have to remember that and I think I can do this I have done it before and I have gotten through it when I have been way worse that's what it is for me. It's that constant reminder to myself that I can do this. 
but I also use my support network. I always reach out to her when I'm not feeling great. And if I'm having really bad anxiety, I will tell her and she's great. You know, her and I bounce off each other with this stuff and she gets it. And I will say, I'm I'm having really bad anxiety. I've woken up with it. You know, I've got that horrible feeling in my chest or, you know, my fingers are tingling. She'll say, okay, what's going on? Do you know why? You know, depending on what it is. Okay, so can you sit there and work it out or can you take a step away for a moment? And she helps me bring it down a bit and it makes the world of difference knowing someone is there. Mental health is a massive uh, issue in Australia and even in the world. So uh, and a lot of people, they know they have mental health and they do something about it. Some know and they don't do anything. And some, they just are ashamed of having the mental health. So what could you say to anyone who's been experiencing mental health, regardless of if they know or deny or are working on it? I always say to anyone who I speak to, and I'll say it to everyone else, there's nothing wrong with getting help. I cannot recommend it highly enough. We don't have to do this on our own. There are so many people out there that can help us. And if you're not comfortable talking to friends or family about it initially, go and see your GP who they're trained in dealing with this and they will help you and they can refer you to a psychologist. And there's no shame in any of this. I've had people reach out and say, thank you so much. You know, I feel like someone understands me and you're giving a voice to those of us who feel like we can't talk about it. We need to remove the stigma around mental illness and we need people to talk about it more in order to do that though. We're not meant to go through these things on our own and you would be so surprised at how many people will actually listen to you and will give you the time. And if that person doesn't, don't feel like that's it. You can't talk to anyone else because that one person hasn't listened. That person might not have the capacity to do it. That person just might not be your person, but there are people. And there are groups on Facebook, you know, that you can use as well, which I used eating disorder support groups as well when I was going through my recovery. I'm in a couple of other groups for trauma support as well. And if you don't want to talk to friends or family or your GP, those Facebook groups are a massive help. With social media, you can be behind that screen and you can hide your identity somewhat if you're not yet comfortable. I cannot stress this enough for men and it is such a stigma for men that they won't talk about it because they're very much brought up a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time to be tough and be manly and not talk about their feelings. I've got friends personally who have been through hell and have done nothing about it for so long and really, really struggle. I've sat there with a friend who has said to me, I don't want to be here anymore, Marissa. I'm tired. I don't want to do this. Wow. So I wanted to say thank you because there was two important points that you 
you talked about, it was really the social media because we do hear a lot of negative things about social media. And the fact that you see that people, they can use social media in a positive way by finding group in whatever situation or condition they're feeling. Like for you, it was a eating disorder and you went and you find this group of support. And that was really amazing. And I think it's really important to reinforce that social media is not only negative. There is a lot of positive things. And this is an example. And I really wanted to highlight that. And the second thing that you mentioned was also the men also, there is so much, uh, I feel for them because it's just a stigma. I said, oh, you're strong, you know, get over it. And I really, really, really reinforce that point that we are all human beings. There is no difference between men and women when you feel like mentally something is not going well. You know, with the social media, and there is a lot of negativity. And unfortunately, the rise and rise of social media, it does have a very negative impact on a lot of people's mental health. And especially with eating disorders, because you see the media paints people in, you've got to look a certain way. And for women, like you've got to have perky boobs and your butt's got to be like so perfect. And yeah, it's how you've got to look, all these perfection looks all the time. And what we don't realize a lot of the time is that it's lighting, it's angles, it's Photoshop, it's a lot of makeup, so many things. And we think, oh my gosh, we have to look a certain way. And we don't, we just need to look like ourselves. We do have to separate that. But like you said, and like I was saying, there's so many positives to using it for connection and for being able to reach out. One of my closest friends lives in uh, Maine in the States and I connected with her and met her through an eating disorder support group like 11 years ago. She's amazing and she was also one of my biggest supporters in starting my support group. That's the thing, you can make friendships as well with these people who will have your back. And when you're not feeling great, you can message them and they will listen to you and they will be there for you. If something's not making you feel great on social media, though, unfollow. Don't do anything negative for yourself in following people that are not serving you anymore. Unfollow them. We've got to stop thinking, oh, my gosh, but what will they think? Who cares? How about what you think? That's what's important. It's horrible to hear so many men and their struggles and men's suicide rates are actually higher than women's. It's just not spoken about as much. It is terrifying that that is what we're looking at because they don't feel like they can get help and they don't feel like they can talk to anyone. It's something that we very, very much need to work on and improving and reducing the stigma. That means, you know, men opening up and talking to people, but that does also mean as a society that we accept, as you said, that we are all humans. It doesn't matter what gender we are. It doesn't matter who we are as a person. It doesn't matter what our background is. 
none of this matters. What matters is that we're all human and we all feel and we all have emotions and every single one of us has a right to feel happy and every single one of us has a right to feel like it's safe to reach out for help and to not be ridiculed. I say if you are someone that ridicules someone that is struggling and if you are someone that is negative because someone's reached out for help, you need to take a good, long, hard look at yourself and figure out why it bothers you so much because honestly, those people that do that have stuff going on themselves and they just don't want to deal with it. So it's easier to shame someone else than to deal with their own stuff. But I suppose as well, like some people, they don't even realize that they have an, a problem, like something, not a problem, but they have something that's going on. And they don't even realize that they're behaving like that because maybe this is the defensive mechanism. So they've always been like that. It's not an easy fix. It's just about knowing that we are all humans and we want to be treated the way that we treat others and everyone, male, female. We all have feelings and those feelings can be expressed in different ways. So let's find a way that we can help one another. We all should feel safe in saying, I'm not okay. And it goes back to that, it's okay to not be okay. And we've got to remember always, and I always go with that, it's okay not to be okay. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being part of the Driver's Seat Club. Very, very sincerely grateful for having you today. Well, honestly, thank you so much. I feel so honored to be able to speak with you and to get my story and my journey out there as well and to hopefully give even just one person a glimmer of hope that recovery is possible and that you can be better and you can feel better and that hopefully someone's able to go, I'm not okay and is happy to reach out for help. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Driver's Seat Club. Until next time, have a powerful day.